Woman Awake is a soul-led journey of awakening through motherhood and womanhood. Woman Awake explores the soul-based, spirit-fueled, somatic and energetic journey of awakening, of consciousness. The power of an awakened woman lives in her life alignment, her inner attunement and her embodied transformation. This is not just my journey, but it is ours and together we seek to free our mind, feel our body, feed our soul and to hear our heart. As women, as mamas, we seek clarity, we embrace the truth, we dive into the discomfort of our shadows, we honour our healing and we be fully with our humanness whilst also being in our divinity too. Hey, beautiful humans. Welcome to this week's episode on Woman Awake. I am so thrilled to bring you this conversation that I was lucky to have with Yara Heary. She is a therapist, a coach. She offers support for women predominantly through conception, pregnancy, and motherhood. And her business is called Life After Birth. And that's precisely the name of this podcast episode two. Because that's what we unpack. We unpack life after birth. We unpack what happens to women after birth. And we unpack the journey, the journey of healing and all of the stuff that comes with that. There's so much. To be honest, it was, it was actually really quite difficult to keep this episode short and succinct because the conversation with Yara was just really effortless and beautiful. And I felt like I could have picked her beautiful brain about so many different aspects. But to give you an idea before we launch into it, we talk about what life after birth is. We talk about matrescence and the nervous system. We talk about what are the loving things that we can do for ourselves as women. We talk about what's the most loving thing to do for your children, reparenting. We touch on so many different incredible aspects of motherhood, of life after birth. Obviously, pregnancy and birth are such pivotal rites of passage and moments for us, but so is the journey of becoming a mother, which happens the moment that baby is in your arms and the journey that, un, you, that, un, you know, that unfolds between you and that child, but also what unfolds for you as a woman and all that you have to unpack and the traumas that are triggered. There is so much there. You know this. So whether you are a mother or not, I highly recommend you tune in and just enjoy Yara's beautiful way of describing so much that is resonant for us as women, as mothers, and just really soak in these words. I will bring conversations like this regularly because I feel that until it's really embedded in our culture, this concept of matrescence, we do have to speak to it often. So much of who I am has nothing to do with being a mother, and yet so much predominantly at the moment is shaped by being a mother. And and so much of what I've journeyed through and what I've had to unpack is because of motherhood. So without further ado, you didn't come on here to this episode to listen to me ramble. I'm going to launch straight in and share this conversation with you between myself and Yara Heary. And of course, please connect with her afterwards. All the details will be in the show notes. I am so glad that we finally got the chance to have this chat and connect me too. A few weeks in the making, but here we are. Yes. Yep. I'm so glad. <laughs> Thank you. So just to give you a little bit of understanding, this podcast is called Woman Awake, but it was originally a very motherhood-centered podcast. It's kind of changed over the years as I have changed. But at mm. the very core of what I believe to be my personal major spiritual growth was, of course, motherhood. And what I really love about your work and your name of your work especially because I found you via Instagram is that it's called mm. after birth mm. it, yeah of course it, it, there is life after birth <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely thought. yeah totally and there's a lot of life that needs to be unpacked and processed and a lot of stuff that people didn't share with me or I didn't have my mind or heart open to I guess in the depth that perhaps I required so mm. I really love that about you and your work. And I really love the way that you share the world of life after birth. So I'd love mm. to start here with this first question, which is when you are talking about mothers, mamas, and mm. life after birth, what is the thing or the things that you are most passionate about sharing with them? Mm. 
Yeah. Oh, that's such a great question. That's really lovely. And I love that you really um, have focused there on that on that name as well because it took it really just came to me one day and it was that idea of um it actually came from thinking about that term life after death right and the idea of like what happens after that right and and how nobody really knows and it and I sort of reflected on that for my experience of becoming a mother and sort of going well wow I really had no idea actually what was coming after you know I birthed my first son and so that that name just really stuck with me in terms of like, yeah, there's this whole other life. And not only is it another life, but it's like it's this it's sort of like a, a rebirthing for us as women. Um, and I think that that happens every time that we add children to to our lives, you know, so it's not just the first time, but every time after that. And so I think that my, in terms of what's my passion around that and, and what I want to speak to in particular for mothers is really just about the idea that we all can have choice about how we want that to look, like that there isn't any particular way, there isn't any any right way for every mother, like it's really about what matters for you, what's important for you and re-centering to that in order to have a a lived experience that continues on from there, which is not just as the mother, but as the woman as well, um, that feels aligned with your kind of truth and your authenticity. Um, and one of the things that I really notice is that we all have all these kind of internalizations about what it means to be a mother and what it means to mother as well. And often, you know, the women that I see both in my one-on-one -on -one work and in my group work, you know, the way I guess the belief systems that they have around that or the internalizations that they have are not are not lending themselves to these women feeling empowered and to these women feeling that they're really thriving in their experience. And so my passion is really around helping women identify what what those internalizations are. Mm. Um, so what those belief systems are and also to unpack where they've come from. Because I think we really it's it's I don't think it's enough to just simply say, well, just reframe and move on. I think it's really important for people to understand how they've come to actually hold on to these kinds of beliefs that may not be working for them so that they can have, you know, just some understanding. And I think also once we have an understanding of where they've come from, we can have less self-blame that happens as well. Like there's an element of self-compassion that comes into our experience when we realise that, oh, it's not because... I'm a terrible mother or because I'm failing or anything like that. It's just that we've been kind of, you know, socialised into the concept of being a mother and, in fact, being a woman in such a way that it's not necessarily for our benefit, like it's not necessarily, you know, in a way that is going to allow us to really thrive and to really feel free to make choices that are in our best interest, which really is what we, we really need to do as, as women and as mothers we need to be able to make our choices that are in our best interest, looking after our needs in order for us to have enough to provide for others, right? So, you know, our children or our partners or our friendships or whatever it means, you know, so rather than operating in a way where we are so depleted and we actually really don't, we're not giving our best to anyone, but certainly not to ourselves either. Um, so that's really um, my passion and in my work specifically, like I talk a lot with my clients about, you know, the dyad between mother and child or children, you know, so then maybe it's not so much a dyad, but, um, you know, talking about that, but for me, I really, my focus is on what is it that the mother needs? How do we hold the mother? Who looks after her? You know, mm -hmm. how is she getting her needs met? What is, what is it that she wants this mothering experience to look like and to feel like more so, um, you know, and, and also, like, how, how is she tending to her body and to her nervous system in particular, you know, so that she's able to show up in her highest capacity in this time as well, which is, you know, it's such an intense time. Um, and I don't even just mean the transition of maiden to mother. I mean just that journey of mothering mm. is constantly keeping us on our toes. And exactly. so, you know, in terms of the body and our nervous system, we really need to be flexible in order to really... Um, respond with intention to the challenges that we're presented with. 
Gosh, mm. so true. And I feel like I could unpack about 20 different things that you've just shared then. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, no worries. You are clearly so passionate and um, really knowledgeable and oh, deeply respectful as well, which is so beautiful mm. to hear. Thank you. I just want to touch on a couple of things if I can. So yeah. just working backwards, I love the concept of life after birth and that the actual entry into motherhood, which of course begins even preconception for some people, mm. is a death, isn't it? Mm, it is. It is. Meet death, the death yeah. of the self. And I even remember yeah. the, the fear that I had leading up to even considering pregnancy because I knew, I knew mm. intuitively that I would die. Mm. And I knew yeah. I had to. I couldn't obviously know why and what was coming, mm. but there was a resistance. And then, of mm -hmm. course, the pregnancy, that brings about another experience, the death of the old body, of the self, mm. of the merging with another and the, the giving of yourself as yeah. you create life. And then, of course, the birth process and the trauma or the, the joy or the elation, whatever it is that you experience in that, mm. there's these constant points of dying and yes. rebirth, which is just such a, for mm. some people perhaps quite scary. For me at this stage where I'm at, I find really beautiful. But yeah, I feel if that's something we're prepared for, that mm. you will die, mm. you will be reborn, that perhaps we will have a, a different generation of mothers walking the street. Yeah, in a massively. Experience, right? Yeah, so, so support that, you know, that, and the way that I really think about it is an ego death, right? Like, everything that we knew about ourselves, you know, and and it's not to say that there is nothing of our past selves still present because I think that, you know, from my perspective, we have all these different parts within us and, and we also have like the very core of who we are. So it's almost like the light, the golden light within us that is the true self is always there, but it's just that there's this, there's a dying of all of lots of other parts. So it's like a rebirth almost. I also love to think about it. Um, one of the ways that was helpful for me to think about it was like an evolution. And so the idea that, you know, in order to level up, there's always like a shedding, you know, that has to happen. Like even if you think about animals, like certain animals, as they grow, they have to shed all their old skin in order to to be this new version of who yeah. who they're becoming. And I love the idea of that. But certainly there's this real, you know, dark night of the soul kind of experience that happens um, as we are transitioning. And I think that for many people, that first time that they become mothers is that the hardest. Yeah. And it's not to say you don't go through it subsequently, but I think that there's some understanding that this is going to happen. Um, but I think that you're right. I think that many women, including myself, just had no idea how profound that experience would be. And so when it was happening, the way we perceive that is that we're doing something wrong mm. because it, it's so painful, because it hurts, because it's so challenging, because there's so much resistance. And also because many women are out here trying to look like they've got it all together. We don't get to see necessarily what's really going on internally for people. So we look at other mothers around us who seem to be getting it done and we think there's something wrong that I'm struggling so much or that I don't feel like myself or I don't like what I used to like or whatever it is that's changed for people. And so I think that when you come into becoming a mother understanding that that's actually part of the process and that that needs to happen in order for you to actually come out and emerge as this new person who is now a mother it's a completely different part of life um we can also then kind of let ourselves off as well and see it not as a failure but actually that we're really succeeding like we're supposed to have an ego death okay we're going through it you know, like this is part of the deal, not like, oh, what's wrong? Why isn't everything the same? How come I've changed? Like, you know, this focus that we have in our culture, which is very patriarchal, on remaining constant is so detrimental um, for mothers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think it's, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just reflecting that I think I did know that there was going to be an ego death, but I didn't have the framework around me despite years of mm -hmm. my own spiritual practice and years of my own personal deep diving. I didn't have the framework around me mm. to hold me through the ego death. I, I yeah. ended up stepping up for myself quite a lot and demanding support and seeking out psychologists. And really, mm. you know, that's quality of myself that I think many of my listeners perhaps have too, is that we're willing mm. to go there. Mm. I think about the many women who 
don't have that and didn't have that understanding mm. or didn't have a framework. Mm. I remember turning to my mum. You know, you mentioned about understanding the origins perhaps of our internalised beliefs or our stories around motherhood. Mm. I didn't realise I had any beliefs about motherhood until every single one of them was shattered. And I was mm. like, oh, <laughs> wait a yeah. minute. Yeah, yeah. That expectation was there. It didn't mm. have a formalised thought around it, but it was mm. there. Obviously, it was a felt experience because yeah. now it's not happening. I'm going, what the actual? And I remember yeah. saying to my mum and saying, why did you not tell me the truth? She's a mother of five children, mm. you know, raised, raised all of us in a country not of her own. Mm. able to speak English for the first few years and with no support. And I and she said to me, because if I told you, you would never have had children. Mm. And I remember almost falling over as she said mm. that, mm. the enormity of the truth Huge. of what she said. Yeah. You, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have had children if you had told me the truth and that just blew mm. me away. And mm. then I had to unpack mm. all of these internalised beliefs that were curated from my time and my society and my culture, but also my experience with my mother and her yes. line, her family yes. line. And doesn't that just say so much as well for her about that, the space that she has developed in, you know, like in terms of like feeling that she had to hide the truth for you in order for for you to do this thing that women are supposed to do. You know what I mean? Like it's it's so it's so problematic. And I think that um, and the thing is, is like the question is, well, so if someone chose not to do that because they knew the truth, so what of it? You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, what is the issue there? You know, and, and so there's so much, yeah, like you said, there's so much within that, um, so, so much within that. And I think, um, you know, one of the beautiful things about having all of this access now, like, because there was definitely not so great things about it in terms of, you know, online forums and social media and stuff like that, is that there is so much sort of um, transparency about what is involved for um, for mothers. But, yeah, it's, it's one of those things about, you know, the suppression and maybe your mother's experience as many women, maybe from her sort of... Um, from her, her kind of cohort and older about like suppressing their reality of what mothering was like, even for themselves, you know. And the duty mm. of motherhood. And yes. my mother was talking to me about having children from late teens, early 20s, the mm. expectation and the duty and the blessing. Yeah. And all I ever got from her verbally mm. was that motherhood was a blessing. And yet, yeah. obviously, energetically and spiritually mm. and from a nervous system perspective, what I actually programmed from her was completely different because mm. all of that came up in my early years as a mother and still today yeah. unpacking yeah. her true felt belief mm. around the burden and the duty mm. and the struggle of motherhood and therefore also the suppression of that truth because it was yeah. a blessing and mm. all of that came up, the victory yeah. stories and the martyrdom Mm. I remember facing off with myself multiple times, just going, who the actual heck are you? Yes. <laughs> I didn't yeah, I know all of this was within me, but then mm. of course I now get it because I'm looking at my mother through a different lens and going, mm. wow, yeah. these are your internalised beliefs, which I've embodied and you've embodied them from mm. your mother and so on and so on. Yeah, and it's amazing how sneaky it is, you know, like, uh, you know, like in terms of like, I think that I love the way that you talked about it just before where you were saying, um, you know, that they were, were no formalised beliefs. In oh, I don't know if that's exactly what you said, but you were saying, you know, it wasn't like you were saying to yourself, oh, yeah, this is what I believe about motherhood. Yeah, there were no thought forms you know, around it at all. Yeah, but it's just like the way that it plays out, like the way you're, so how you start behaving and how you start feeling about the interactions that you're having with your children or with your partner or just generally about where you are in your life. And then we start to really um reflect on that is when you start going well why do I feel that way why do I respond that way like what what might that mean like what could that mean you know you start doing these kind of reflections and then you realize like oh wow like actually there's a lot there and um and you know I love to think about like you know us as women there is we hold a lot of internalized misogyny like a lot and it definitely influences the way that we navigate all of our lives including motherhood um, and so it's, you know, I often talk about our social kind of construct and, and I guess our, um, 
you know, what we learn as we develop as women through our, you know, through our communities and through the parenting we've received and stuff. And while it's easy to look around and say, well, in a patriarchal sort of um, society, this is the way that men benefit. But actually, we also, as women, hold a lot of internalised um, misogyny mm. and and pass that on through things like what your mother, exactly. you know, did, which yeah. is not telling you the truth about how she experienced it. Because the other thing to know is that her experience and being honest about that with you doesn't necessarily mean that you would experience it that way, but it does allow the conversation to happen, right, and for you to have some awareness about maybe some of the challenges that she um, experienced. And, right. yeah. mm, and I think also it's that thing about how you frame it because people, uh, one of the things I've had people ask me as well is, you know, like how do you, how, how do you find people respond when you tell them the truth about stuff? And I sort of say, well, as a professional, I think it's all to do with timing, but it's also about saying how you frame these changes and challenges. So, yes, these things are hard, but you can also talk about how these things may have been of benefit or could be of benefit for someone, right, in terms of how they evolve, um, what they will learn about themselves, you know, things like that, as well as providing, like, um, strategies or, you know, these are the things, this is what you need to be aware of or this is the kind of support that you need or whatever. So it's not simply about... It doesn't have to be anyway, simply about just telling people how much we've struggled, yeah. which, um, you know, I've certainly heard mothers say that they find challenging, you know, in times like pregnancy and stuff where everybody wants to, like, unload their trauma on them yeah. <laughs> about things that have happened and Thank it's like, you. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's maybe not ideal, you know, like, um, yeah, so anyway. I think that's a really there. powerful point and it's actually something I was just thinking as you were talking before that mm. I really wanted to shine a light on the fact that everything I'm sharing about myself personally mm. has deeply and profoundly shaped who I am today and I wouldn't change any of it. Mm. It's taught me about nervous system and nervous system regulation. It's taught mm. me about trauma. It's taught me about generational patterns and, you know, mm. wounds through the mother line. It's taught me about so much that's shaped how I parent, how I reparent myself, mm. how I teach so that when I'm personally with a client perhaps who's going through that incredible transition, mm. I am excited. Mm. I try to frame it for them that, yes, you are going through a form of death or evolution or rebirth, mm. as we like to term it, but you are mm. opening up to the next iteration of yourself, which possibly yeah. can only happen through this particular transition for you, as it was mm. for me. Mm. I needed yeah. motherhood to actually pull me apart and put me back together as the mm. embodied version that I'm supposed to be today. So I mm. think that that's a really beautiful thing you flagged that mm. it's not doom and gloom. It's like this will happen possibly. Yeah. We don't know how deep or dark it can get, but it will mm. lead perhaps to this and this and this, which I think is a mm. beautiful reframe and probably one of the most maybe that the form of medicine through motherhood that is missed. Yeah, yeah. I think for, when I think about it for me you know, to date, right, because my children are still both quite young, but it's just been such a baptism of fire for me in many ways. And I think that one of the things that I have managed to do in, you know, over the last six years that I've had children is really start to actually position myself as the centre of my life um, and in terms of um, which also I recognise that in the patriarchal culture that we come from that is seen very negatively like in terms of like it may be positioned as selfishness and and things like that in a way that you know so my my whole life has been around around um, you know serving others and checking up on you know making sure other people are fulfilled and making sure other people's needs are met and things like that which of course still happens throughout motherhood right my children and, and that sort of thing but there's been a lot more focus around like okay so there are people around me who need these things but I also need these things so how do I make sure that I am fulfilled so that I can feel whole in order to provide these things that my children need from a place of wholeness of my own right, which is something that I really don't think that I ever had before. And, you know, my, my other thought on that is I feel that I feel that we as people, women, men, we all go through these evolutions throughout our lives, right? And I think that at the end of the day, like when we all take our last breath, we've all gone through a number of ego deaths by the time we reach there. But I think that motherhood is, the, is like such an intensified 
you know, iteration of an ego death. So it's like a fast forward of all the work that needs to be done, you know, like in some ways. And I think that even throughout that experience of being a mother, when our children kind of leave home and things, you'll still experience those those ego deaths again. It's just a constant evolution that we are going through, this constant path towards self-actualization. But I think that motherhood is absolutely, you know, it's that fire. It's yeah. like we're going to get, <laughs> you're going to get this work done now, <laughs> like, you know, so. It is. It's yeah. like stepping into a, a, a chamber and everything's just sped up and intensified yeah. and condensed. It's just wild. And, of yeah. course, like you said, it does ebb and flow. I mean, yeah. seven, yeah. seven years in now and two children, but it's, mm. uh, yeah, it, there's mm. still a lot of moments of, here we go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think also like you just made me think about that as when you said seven, that when you said it, it made me realise like you're a baby in this mothering thing, right? And I am a baby too. And one of the things that I've started to say to my children when I when I make mistakes, because I do because I'm human, and I think it's almost now that I'm thinking of it, it's a way of me speaking to that inner child within myself is that I say to my kids, I'm a beginner too. Like I'm actually, I'm learning. You know how you struggle to write your letters or to read, you know, forward sentences. Like that's that's your struggle, right? But I am also learning. I'm only six years old as a mother. <laughs> you know, like the exact same. You know, I often mm. say to my daughter, it usually happens at a point of repair. I often yeah, say totally. I'm sorry. I'm still learning, just mm. like you. I'm still. I've got my training wheels on. And she'll mm. say, but you're a mummy, you're a grown-up. Mm. And I say, well, just like you, I say, I'm only seven years in. And I often also point to the fact that mm. I'm having to learn how to do things differently to how it was done for me yes. as a child. Yes. And that's a really beautiful space for me to mm. highlight that there are some things that my parents did beautifully mm. and there's some things that they didn't know any different or better and it's my mm. chance to try and get it Get a, get a little bit closer to what's right for you this time around and then she'll yes. do the same and she'll do the same. Yes. I don't think oh, anybody ever said anything like that. Oh, my goodness. No. Honestly, whenever I think about that, I just feel, I, when I say things like that to my son, I feel such a profound somatic experience as well as a really emotional one. Like I feel, I always feel very emotional, but I also feel light like there is there's a there's a heaviness that is lifted off me because I am now removing the burden of knowing how to do everything and knowing how to get everything right and I love that you were saying that your daughter says to you oh but you're this old because my kids look at me and they think that I know everything and I know they do and they tell me that and I'm like you know there's actually so much in this world in general that I don't know but as a mother there's it's like the infinite, the amount of stuff that I don't know as another, but also that they as children are individuals, right? So what works with one of my children does not necessarily work with the other one. And so it's such a, um, it's a really lovely way in those repair moments to share repair with them and let them know that I'm not like the guru, but also for myself internally, and you may find this as well, that it's like I get to take off that layer of conditioning from our culture that says that we ought to know everything and that we ought to be perfect in this role and that we can't make mistakes and all of that sort of stuff. Like I get to unload all of that when I also vocalise that and say that out loud and say, I don't know everything and that's okay. Like I'm still learning, you know, it's, it's a, yeah, I've just started to do that more and more recently. And I think my kids are at an age now where I can say that and they can really understand. And I have just found it so liberating. So liberating. Mm. I'm not sure if you've dropped off, Claire, so I'm just hanging around to see if you come back. It says you're still there, but maybe your connection's dropped off. I'm still here. Can you hear ah, me? Okay. I think my microphone just 
kicked me off again. I'm having all the tech things today. Oh, so. that sucks. It's all right. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> I just kept talking because I was like, just in case it's still working, I'll keep going with that train of thought. I will yeah. just, um, I just won't use that mic okay. actually. Okay. Sound is okay on this one? Yes, yeah, sounds fine. Actually sound a bit louder on that one, oh. like how you are now, yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Mm. Um, I'm just trying to think where to start off from. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was just saying the the gift that it is to our children that their expectations about life can shift, that they don't mm-hmm. have to reach for this place of perfection, of knowing mm. everything and having everything figured out because yeah. here they have their grown mother demonstrating mm. in a really beautiful grounded way that I, I also don't know. Mm. I remember being a child, maybe my daughter's age, and thinking, I just need to get to 12 because then at 12 I know a lot more and I'm, I'm better and safer and mm. more capable. And then I remember getting to 12 and the goalpost, of course, changed. I just need to be 17 and then I'll have mm. more figured out and I'll be better and okay and all of this sort of stuff. Yeah. It took me until my early 20s to kind of go, wait a minute. Mm. I'm not sure I'm ever actually going to have it figured out. Mm-hmm. And what if that's kind of the point of my entire life, that I am in the process of figuring it out as opposed to figured it out? Mm. Yes. What a gift that our children get to understand that from such a young age. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. And also, like, you know, for me, uh, my experience also was that as a child, like my father was never wrong. You know, he was never wrong. It was always me that was wrong. Mm-hmm. And so I love that that is something that, you know, I'm hoping that by sort of being, showing vulnerability, obviously in a way that's age appropriate for my children, but showing vulnerability with them and letting them know, um, you know, that I make mistakes too. Like you said, it gives them that opportunity to know, oh, okay, mum also makes mistakes. It's safe for me to make mistakes and there's no shame about that, Mm, you know. Yeah, it's a really, it's a lovely, um, yeah, a lovely thing to be able to share with our kids. Absolutely. Yeah. So Mm. let's go a little bit more into that in terms of Mm. some of the most loving things that you think we can do Mm. for our children and I guess also for ourselves at the same time. If we're thinking about understanding motherhood through this different lens that you're sharing, which is the truth, to be honest, what Mm. are some of the most loving things that we can do for our children and ourselves as we're both growing together? Mm. Um, sorry, would you mind just repeating that to me again? I just lost focus there for a moment. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, just so we may as well be honest. <laughs> no, that's okay. Beautiful. Just mm. what, are, what are some of the most loving things that we can do for our children and for ourselves, considering mm. that we're both growing at mm. the same time? We're both learning at the same time. Mm. I, think that, I think that one of the things that, that allows us to, yeah, okay, let me think about that. So one of the things that I think is is really beautiful is being able to centre our own, like be clear about our own values and our value system as a mother. And I'll explain a little bit more about that. I feel like that's a bit cryptic. But one of the things that I notice with women that I work with is that they have had certain experiences in their um, childhood that they want to avoid perpetuating or they want to avoid um, sort of carrying out in their relationships with their right. children. And so one of the things that I really notice is that they they kind of can end up parenting from a place of fear mm-hmm. which drives them towards or striving towards, um, you know, perfection. So, you know, it's almost like this pendulum swing thing where because we've had experiences that were not ideal maybe in our childhood it sets us on this path of trying to be the complete opposite of that as parents. And I think what that actually does is creates a similar situation actually to what we've experienced as children where we set ourselves very high standards. Um, And so that's really, it's not kind for our nervous system to do that. We set ourselves very high standards, which leads to um, like an, an, a, how do I describe it, like an intensive mothering kind of experience for us, which makes us feel very depleted and overwhelmed and without space for ourselves. But, and I also think for in terms of our relationship with our children, obviously that has an impact because we end up in this high stress state for our, in our nervous system, which means that we don't have, yeah, um, 
we, we lack flexibility in our nervous system. So in terms of co-regulating with our children, that's not a great thing for them in terms of we need really to be in a more flexible state so we can handle challenge and that, so that they can co-regulate to that as well. Um, but also I think that that whole um, assuming of these really high standards for our parenting because we're trying to avoid being like our parents were, it also sets that... that um, it sets those standards for our children. Like they watch us doing that and we're sort of role modelling that this is how you parent and this is how you mother and this is how you be a person in the world who has high standards and when you don't meet them you feel crap about yourself, right? Mm. And so I feel like one of the things I often say to women is rather than trying to parent out of fear of becoming like your parents, actually start to look at what is actually meaningful for you. So like what do you want out of this mothering experience? Like how do you want to feel day to day? What you know, and then what are the values that that sort of um, lead to that? What sort of values are those, right? Um, and then we start to actually um, inform our behaviour and how we interact with our children and how we live our lives in terms of, you know. So for me, that might mean that, like, okay, I'm going to prioritise making sure I exercise regularly, that I'm doing breath work, that I go and see my girlfriends where I can have long conversations without being interrupted because all of this sustains my mental health, right, and it sustains my feeling of being whole as a woman, not just as a mother. And so that is, a, you know, for me, that's something that's really important for me in terms of, like, setting that expectation for my children of, like, when you become parents, you don't have to disappear within that. You can still be you and also love your children from the fullness that comes with that. Um, yeah. And and like I said, I think that when we are living in alignment with our values, we are just a better version of ourselves and therefore a better version of the parent that our children needs. And so it benefits them because of that as well. Does that make sense? Totally. Because otherwise, yeah. because otherwise we end up swinging the pendulum to an extreme type of parenting the other way. And that's often what I see with people who really strongly adhere to you know, terms like conscious parenting or attachment parenting and things like that, while the basics of those parenting styles, like which which differ depending on who you're talking to, but while the basis of these things are, are valuable, you know, trying to adhere to them on an extreme level in order to avoid, you know, inverted commas, traumatising our children is also yep. not going to be a healthy way of, of living or of parenting. Does that make sense? It because totally it's too does. Rigid. It's too rigid. And so I feel like my kind of my answer really, like the full the full answer for what we do to be kind to ourselves and kind to our children is really around learning about what the internalizations are that we hold, and then also centering ourselves on what matters to us, what makes us feel good, when do we feel most joy, when does our body feel most alive and healthy and balanced, and then trying to live closer towards that and, and sort of guide our parenting and how we move through the world around that rather than I just don't want to be anything like my, my parents, I don't want to do what they did to me, I don't want to, you know, all of this sort of stuff and it just ends up really extreme on another level. I remember having a... Um, a client who was really focused on attachment parenting and she thought that her she thought her job was to make sure that her child never cried because she thought that if her child cried it meant that there was a risk to the secure attachment that she had with that child and that it meant that she wasn't doing something well and and that she really didn't have a very good attachment with her mother and so it meant that she was perpetuating that and I still had to remind her that you know infants in particular and certainly toddlers and even into that young childhood age, they cry. That's actually that's oh, yeah. how they communicate. They cry, and there is nothing wrong with crying. It's it can be very. It's a great way of releasing, right? It's about what we do in response to it. Mm-hmm. It's about do we hold space? Can we be present with the distress of our own children? All of those sorts of things. And that's what I mean about when it becomes when people are running from what they have experienced, and their parenting style is informed by the fear that they have of being like their parents, you kind of end up on this very other extreme where it was like she was trying to avoid her child ever crying, which is another form of suppression, right? Even though she was doing it from the perspective of thinking that it was going to be positive for their attachment, it actually wasn't. Does that make sense? Yes, it totally does. I really Mm. resonate with that. I went through a bit Mm. of a journey of myself losing that centre, really disconnecting from my own intuition and really disconnecting from 
uh, placing my, myself in a place of importance. Mm-hmm. And I've gone through a journey over the last seven years of reclaiming that and being very vocal and expressive mm-hmm. with my children about how important that is. Mm-hmm. So rather than um, you know, saying to myself, I'm going to do all of these things, yoga and my morning practice, et cetera, because it's the opposite of what my mother did or whatever mm-hmm. the story is, it's more about understanding um, that that sense of wholeness actually is that the greatest mm. gift to my children. Yeah. And I will I will say this to my daughter, Mommy, why are you going to yoga? I don't want you to go. I want you to be here. And I say, I know, I understand. I really feel mm. that. And that mm. in itself, even saying that in itself was a huge step for me. Mm. And I can see that you really want me to be here. But I know I'm a better person. And I always say person first before mother. I'm a better person mm. and a better mother when I look after myself. Mm. And I'm hoping in that moment that 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 is the most loving thing I do for her because she Mm -hmm. does get so much more of me when I come back. And I hope that I'm setting down a program for her for the future about placing herself at the top. It's really interesting to watch yourself in all of that and having to train yourself to be back in the centre, especially Mm. if you weren't there before having children. Mm. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a trigger for me. It was a trigger for me because my mother was never at the center. We mm. were her entire world, yeah. the center of her universe, as so many in that generation were. Mm. But I, I can, mm. I can really sense the the gift in that, not only for myself day mm. to day, but the long term. Yes. Yeah, the long term offering that's there for my children. Absolutely, and it will help them throughout all parts of their lives, like even outside of being a parent. Like I think about, you know, my my late teens and my 20s and, and kind of what kind of fueled my behaviour. And a lot of the time it was around making sure people were pleased with me in some way, mm-hmm. you know, or, um, you know, performing well academically or in fact in anything in order to make sure that people, that I looked like I was enough. Does that make yeah. sense? So, so it was really yeah. so focused on... Um, receiving um, affirmation external to myself I was you know doing well or a good woman or whatever it might be and I think that 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 um, example that we can set as mothers that actually you can tune into your own you know um, compass and make a decision about what it looks like to be you know living in a whole kind of aligned way and that can be enough you know and I think that also the the beauty of that actually is that when we do that we get people see it you know like it has impacts around us people see that we're doing that people see that we're happy you know all of the rest of it um Mm. so yeah like I yeah I think it's not just about teaching our children um, that skill or, or I guess role modeling for when they're young, but throughout their whole lives, whether they become mothers or parents, or if they choose not to, it's just about like, how do you navigate the world in a way that feels good for you? Um, and therefore has a knock on effect that feels good for other people around you as well. You know, like even, um, you know, that analogy of, of, you know, filling your cup as a mother. And I always used to be like, you know, fill your cup so you can pour for others. And then I heard someone say, and I just resonate with this so much. It's not about pouring out of your cup. It's about being so full that it overflows into the cups of others. And I just love that because I'm like, yes, because we're not trying to end up in this refill, deplete, refill, deplete. We're actually trying to be full enough all the time that it overflows into the cups of those who are around us. Yeah, I love that and I really resonate with that and that's been a, a definite journey for me to mm. really release the the martyr story from my mother and her lying. It's such a beautiful, yeah, giving, overgiving, deeply mm. service-based, <laughs> it, it was a job mm. and it was really quite wild how quickly that came up for me mm. and how much I've had to unpack and process around Oh God, I can't even like the, I could go on about that for about five hours. Honestly, it's it's, it's still yeah. something today that I have to be with very intentionally, yes. and really have to watch my trigger and the rage that comes up in me when my mm. children push back a lot on mm. my time or the stuff that I value or centering myself and yes. really trusting in the power of that long term. Yeah. Yeah. And trying to teach myself, reparent myself through all of that mm. is, yeah, it's intense. Mm, definitely. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
so relate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Like you said, we're still babies in this, so we um. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like yeah, and it's funny because I think about you know for me. When I was growing up, I had a grandmother who was a very strong presence and was really this matriarch kind of um, person. And, you know, like I, by the time that she passed away, I wasn't at a stage in my life where I was having these kinds of conversations. Like I often think, oh, I would have loved, mm. what kind of conversation would we be having today? Because she wasn't necessarily, she never, she wasn't also having these conversations with me, but I feel that if I had opened that conversation, she would have been very happy. She was always very honest and transparent. It's just that she wasn't necessarily raising these things herself and also, you know, I was at a different age. Um, yeah, but sometimes I think about, like, I wonder what, you know, she would have said mm. um, having these conversations and just hearing that from her. She was, um, yeah, like she she just she did life how she wanted to. That's <laughs> she, beautiful. You know, she really did. She She, like, you know, was still travelling in her 80s. She'd do these long-haul flights places. She was just, yeah, she was really amazing. I don't, you know, obviously I don't know all of her life, but the parts of her life that I observed, I think, wow, she she really did what she needed to do in her life to make herself feel whole. And, um, you know, I really benefited from the joy in her as a result yeah, of that. that's beautiful. That's mm. really beautiful. And mm. I think that there is definitely a way for us to be, women of the world and to be satisfied in our own ventures and projects and experiences in life and yet still be incredibly present and loving mothers. I think yes. that that's one of the myths that I love to see broken down because there's this mm. idea that you, if you centre yourself that you mm. are therefore not a present and loving mother and that's just complete BS. Mm. Mm. Well, I think that really comes from the bigger the bigger kind of uh, pressure that we feel in this very patriarchal society where, you know, the role, our role is a supporting role, you know, like it's the supporting role to, to actually support the, um, the aspirations and the um, success and the drive of the masculine, you know, like where, where in some ways there is an, an element of that within this kind of feminine energy. But I think on a, on a more concrete level, um, you know, as whole people that I think, I think that's kind of where that comes from. Yeah, you know, there's some real work there to undo that and to say, no, I actually get to take up space and I get to, like, that's a big issue, I think, for women in general, you know, like I am enough as I am and I can work on myself if I want to and I can take up space and I don't have to make sure everyone's happy about it and, you know, those sorts of things. Um other bigger work of, for us to do as women you know and this is the beautiful thing about it like this experience that we have as mothers where we're we're trying to learn that oh it's you know I can have the use of the word and so I can love you know parts of mothering and also really just want time to myself and to invest in me without thinking about everybody else's needs um and and actually yeah and actually also you know, doing this work where we say, no, I actually need to look after myself. And this kind of fire that we experience in becoming mothers and through that that period of mothering, especially the more, the, the more, you know, especially in these younger ages where there is so much need, it's such a good training for us as women in general. Mm. You know what I mean? Because we yep. learn that in our mothering that we can take that into the broader world of, you know, actually it's important for me to take up space in my in my work in my career, in my friendships, in my social circles, you know, we can take that with us into so many different areas and undo so much of that conditioning that we've received, which says we have to stay, stay small and, you know, fulfil this supporting role constantly. Yeah, I agree mm. with that. I think that's a really beautiful way of explaining that, the supporting role and mm. use of the word and. I love that. I love that so much. Thank you. No oh, I feel like I could talk to you about a million things and there's so yeah. many questions <laughs> that I have that I have not yet even touched. So yeah. we will have to have a part two. That would be lovely. Before we wrap up, I would just love to know how we can best support you. I'm obviously going to direct everybody to yeah. your work and your world. Is yeah, there anything beautiful. out there that you would love us to know about your work yeah. and your world? Uh, yes, so you can uh, find me on Instagram is where I'm most active and that's Life After Birth Psychology. Uh, and in terms of ways that you can 
work with me. I actually have, I've, I've been sitting on it for a while, but haven't got around to it. I've got some, like a free resource on working with the inner critic, um, which I really want to get out in, within the next month. Um, so if you're interested in something like that, you can sign up to my um, newsletter, which the link for that is in my Instagram bio. Um, and I also have got a uh, online group that runs, it's called The Rebirth and it's for mothers. And that runs for nine weeks. I've got a, a group going at the moment for that. I may do another one later on this year. And then I also have some workshops. So I have like a, a quite um, in-depth anger workshop for mothers, um, which in, involves a lot of somatic work in that as well. And then also one on um, sort of healing, repairing and strengthening friendship within a relationship while we parent. And that one and the anger one are both online, self-paced um, uh, offering so you can do that in your own time and all the links for all of that are available in my uh, bio as well on Instagram Jesus. so that's probably the easiest way to navigate to all the things that I do I love that <laughs> and there. that sounds like some things that I will definitely need to be getting myself <laughs> mm, yeah no worries thank you so much for your time thank you for no being worries, here Claire. with me today and having this beautiful conversation and I know it's just the very tip of the iceberg but it's just mm. You know, these conversations just have, have to happen yeah. often until we yeah. really change the conversation in a yeah. global level, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's the revolution, isn't it? It is. Thank <laughs> you for your beautiful work in the world, and I'm so grateful to have had this conversation with you. No worries. Thank you for having me, Claire. You're so welcome. Thank you for listening to Woman Awake. If you found this episode supportive, please subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes. This is the best way to cheer me on and ensure that Woman Awake lands in the hearts and ears of those that need it most. If you think of someone that needs this medicine, please do me a favor and share this on. You can find me over at clarabade.com slash podcast. Thank you for being a part of this journey of awakening.